The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Robot Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Aisha Baig. Baig, Baig. Can you correct us, Dr. Aisha? Baig. Baig. Okay, awesome. So let's just get right into it. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Likewise. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. It's an honor yeah, so where are you calling from? Can you tell us where you're located? Sure, I'm calling from Central California. It's my lunch break right now, so I'm t- very happy to be here and recording this. Yeah, I'm super excited. So you're calling from Central California and you are a pediatric gastroenterologist. Is that correct? Yeah. But, you know, on this show, we like to get into the background of IMGs that are successful now in practice. And so tell us a little bit about your journey and where you went to school, where you're from, and really how you got to this place. Sure. So I was born and raised in Karachi, Pakistan. That's where I was raised. So I did my med school back in Karachi. That was down, uh, my med school is Dow Medical College. That's where I graduated from. So this was back in 2010. I did one year of internship uh, or a house job year uh, in 2011. So that was for one year. At that time, I had actually decided to go to UK. So I went to UK first, gave my lab exams, uh, got my GMC license. But the UK government was not giving work visas or training visas to foreign medical graduates. My husband was based in Dubai, uh, UAE at that time. So we decided to you know, come to US because he also wanted to do his master's. So at that time, I decided that I would you know, do try for a, a residency training over here. And at that time, I just had, I was already out of graduation, like out of med school for two years because I started studying for my US assembly in 2012. So there was a lot of, I would say, I was stressed and I was, you know, I, I was anxious if I'm going to match or not, because I was already two years out of uh, med school. So that's when I started studying, but I was able to give all my steps in one year and I applied in 2013 and I got, uh, luckily I got a pre-match in 2013 and I started my uh, residency in 2014. So at that time I did three years of residency training in New York. I went to Brookdale University Hospital in uh, in New York City. And then I did three years of fellowship in gastroenterology and hepatology from University of Rochester. And then I just finished that back in 2020, uh, June of 2020, and started as an attending physician here at Valley Children's Hospital in California. That's amazing. That's pretty awesome. Very encouraging. Congratulations for everything that you've achieved, because that's a pretty big deal what you've done. So let's just go back, you know, into some of that story a little bit and kind of break the pieces down. So, you know, you got a pre-match and that's something that a lot of people are not familiar with. Can you tell us what that means? So that means is that you are offered. So usually typically people uh, go into the match system. You do all the interviews and then uh, submit your rank order list at NRMP. And then you get finally, you know, on the match day, you get to know where you're matching. In a pre-match, and that's from my understanding, is there are not a lot of programs in the U.S. that offer pre-match. I only know like a handful of four or five programs uh, who offer pre-match. So this program that I interviewed, I, you know, they offered me a pre-match within a week of me interviewing with them. They gave me a call that they really liked me and they offered me um, there and then 
And the thing with pre-match is that if you accept the offer, then you have to get yourself out of the main match. So even if you're interviewing at other places, you cannot enter into the match. So once you sign the contract or the pre-match, you're pretty much done. You have a residency spot and uh, there's that. So I was lucky enough being an IMG and there was a lot going on on my plate at that time, which I will uh, you know, share as well later on. So I, ex- I accepted the offer and yeah, I went with it. Right. That's a really good point that you brought up because it takes away the anxiety of waiting for match day. That's that was right. probably one of the most anxious seasons of my life was just waiting for March 15th. So I understand that 100%. Now, why do you think you got a pre-match? Because there are some IMGs that are listening right now that will be asking themselves, nobody's ever offered me a pre-match or that would be nice to get a pre-match. And I know that programs offer pre-matches according to how they, they do it on their own basis. Like they can do what they want to do when they want to do it. So there's no like, there's no way for anybody to know exactly when a program is going to offer a pre-match. But from your perspective, can you give us some tips for somebody that, would like to be considered for pre-match, what are some things that they can do? Or what did you do? Was it just a stroke of chance? Or, you know, what do you think influenced that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, I think I was very lucky. And I think some of the prayers, I think, uh, worked, uh, as I would like to put it. I think my CV wasn't like extraordinary. I didn't have like stellar scores. And that's something I think we'll talk about it at the end of the day, how to match or pre-match with someone who doesn't have like excellent scores. As I mentioned earlier as well, I was already applying three years. It It was 2013 when I applied. So it was already, I was three years out of graduation and a lot of programs have this cutoff criteria as well. So I wasn't like, you know, a fresh graduate with excellent scores or anything like that. I think it was a little bit of my experience. I had done some research back when I was you know, trying to study for my U.S. assemblies, I was doing some research work as well in UAE, as well as had some observerships at that time. Maybe the U.K., so I know the program director was very impressed that how I had given so many exams, like I had given residency entrance exams back of Pakistan. I had, I was studying for the ones in UAE, United Arab Emirates. I had given UK exams and, you know, I had already gotten GMC registration. So they were kind of like uh, intrigued that this girl who's also a mother and, you know, he's, she's just trying to get into a training program and she's just, you know, very hardworking and she's like, she's persevered all this time. So I think, I don't know if it was that. And my interview itself with the program director and the chair went really well. So I got a hint when I was interviewing with the chair that they would offer me. So I think it was more of like my interview and a little bit of my experience, I would say that got me this pre-match. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned something there, being a mom and taking care of your children while doing this. And then you end up doing the board exams for... United Arab Emirates and you do the same for the UK and then you do USMLE. That's, I can't even imagine because studying for the USME alone is, that was a lot. So thinking about doing that in three different countries under three different circumstances and conditions, that's pretty impressive. But you know, how did you, how were you able to do this while managing motherhood and, you know, even just the thought of it, like, I'm like, how, how did she do it? Can you tell us? 
So uh, back in 2012, uh, when uh, you know my husband and I decided that we'll try to move to US and see, uh, try our luck and see if I get a residency position. So at that time, I moved back to Pakistan and started studying for my exams because I knew if I uh, was staying in UAE with him, and you know, I I wouldn't, I didn't have any house help or anything like that. Back in Pakistan, you have the privilege, you have some domestic help, and you know, I was, you know, I didn't have to make food or think of other, you know, things at that. Time. Time. So at that time, I knew I just had to study. So I had to stay away from my husband for all this time. Uh, and that was a year. And at that time, I was pregnant as well. So during my entire pregnancy, I was doing some clinical work, um, you know, for a few days a week, as well as studying for my US families. So as I said, I finished, uh, gave all my exams in one year. That is uh, step one, uh, step two CK and step two CS. So when I came for my CS, that's where I stayed here. And, you know, on another visa that the visa stuff we'll talk about later. But that's when I came in and stayed for the interviews and all that stuff. So I think I had some help back in Pakistan, uh, you know, my parents my in-laws, uh, they were very accommodating. Even when my first daughter was born, they were uh, very uh, supportive and they took care of her. Only when I was breastfeeding her, I would have her. Other times I was just studying. So it was like one year of intense studying uh, because I understand it's, it's really, uh, it's a tough exam, especially for IMGs where we are not, our curriculum back in, uh, you know, other, I don't know about other countries, but from my country, I can say that my medical school did not train, you know, me in a way that uh, was, the curriculum was not built in a way, uh, that's how I should put it, that was very USMLE focused. It was very clinically oriented, it was a different clinical orientation, but not like how the exam-based vignettes are and all of that. So I had to study really hours day in and day out to get here. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What is your word of encouragement or advice that you have for another mother or you know someone that's pregnant or newly married and is worried about being separated from their spouse or family or you know they're managing kids and then having to go through this process i mean what are some words for them because i actually just think about it i had a an img send me a message the other day she had a really great opportunity to go do an observership in another state and she lives here in the states but she's like i have a little kid and and i have a husband and it's a lot to take this opportunity, but I really want to go because I need clinical experience and this is on my feet. And the only thing I could think of telling her was it's a short-term sacrifice for long-term benefit. And she sent me a text a few days after she was, no, a couple of weeks. It was actually several weeks after. And she's like, I'm on a flight right now. And I just keep telling myself it's short-term sacrifice for long-term benefit. And so when I look at her and I think of you, I'm saying, I mean, you're probably now in California with your kids and it's a very different life from what it was when you were hustling and you probably have really better perspective. So can you speak to that person or that group of women that are just really divided? Absolutely. I think you've put it really well. I would agree to that 100% that we make these little sacrifices when we look at it, that's for the future. We want a better future or whatever our goals are. Other than that, I think everyone's life and challenges are different. Luckily, my husband was supportive. So he was okay of traveling on the weekends and meeting uh, me on, you know, I had my uh, son later in residency as well, but he was okay with us meeting us only on the weekends. And he was on a driving distance that he could come 
on the weekends. I know so many couples and families where people are not able to meet even on the weekends and you know they meet after months or, or so. So the challenges are different, but you have to set expectations and goals and working with your families. But I, I, I personally feel, and that's what my advice is to other IMGs as well, that if you can, you know, do a little bit of more hard work at this point, I think the further out of graduation you are, I know so many IMGs who wait for like eight, 10 years until their kids grow up and then they decide to give exams. I think the world is changing so rapidly and this exam requirements, everything's changing. The further you're out from your graduation, I think it gets more and more challenging. So my advice would be to try to work it out. Be, even if you want to have kids, there are ways, there are daycares, there are nannies. You know, I, I asked for help. I, I tried to plan it in a way, be it in terms of taking care of my house, be it in terms of, you know, not saving a bit, but spending all of what I earned in residency to, you know, give it to nannies. But I knew that I had someone reliable to take care of my kids when, you know, when I wasn't with them because you need, and I didn't, to be honest, I didn't have any family member around. And plus my husband was not there with me. When I came here to US, I had my daughter who was two years old. So I had to find out, you know, how to, who will take care of her, her schooling issues and all of that. And then my, I had my son when I was in my 30, I was also doing a, a cheap resident year at that time. So it was additional responsibility, but I, I knew how to, you know, set goals and, you know, take care of their stuff, like making sure that the nanny who's there is reliable. I have the nanny cam and and all of that. So I think you plan ahead. That makes a lot of difference. If you know what you, what the kids would be eating the whole week, you know, there are little things that you need to plan ahead of time. I think if you do that, I think it is very much approachable, but uh, doable. But what I would suggest is that plan ahead and don't delay your exam, especially if you're an IMG, don't delay the exam. I think that makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I'm just listening to you and I'm like, man, she's a boss. Like, you're a boss. Let me just tell you that right now. If nobody's told oh. you, but you are. Because in my head, I'm just like, how? Like, how do you do three different country exams and then simultaneously get a pre-match? And you tell us, hey, I got a pre-match, but I didn't have stellar scores. But I did get that. And then you get in and you have your mom in a long distance relationship. And you still do a chief residency position despite that. And you're so focused that you're like, I'm going to put all the money that I'm making as a resident towards childcare and so that I can continue this journey because the reward when I come out is going to be greater than anything that I've you know, done so far. And Absolutely. then you finish. And the next thing that can pop in anybody's head is why do fellowship? Just, you know, all these years have been hustle. Why don't you just, you know, take the easy way out and, and not do a fellowship and have three extra years of your life that you spend with your family. But then you're like, no, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do GI for three years. And then now you're an attending and it's like, you know, the time would have gone by anyways, right? Like we would have still been here in 2021 recording an episode maybe. And you would have still been in, you know, the time would have gone by whether you did these things or did not do them. And when I look at that, I'm thinking, wow, Aisha, like that is awesome because sometimes we just have to like suck it up and do the difficult things first and then believe that whatever we're doing is going to be a seed that we're sowing in the ground so that when it's time to reap, we reap big, okay? And I want people that are listening to really get that because sometimes it's easy to look at you now and say, oh, she's awesome. She's a 
you know, a subspecialist in California. She's an IMG. Oh, she didn't have anything hard. Like it just happened. It was easy, but it wasn't right. But until we know these details of your story, then we're like, man, how did she do that? Right. So I really want you to just give us some, give us some more. Cause I know you have a lot, give us some more advice. You know, people listening are like, man, her story is bomb. But how, how do they get to do it? How do they start? Yeah, it's it was a crazy roller coaster journey. To be honest, it it was crazy. I think being focused, you know, my mantra is be a warrior and not a warrior. You know, you I, I have always been very focused and determined, and I knew what I wanted to do. You know, going back even once I graduated from med school, I wanted to get a specialization from a foreign country, and you know, it wasn't because you know my own country didn't have like great postgraduate experience or training. It wasn't that, but it was my wish. Even when, when I was a child, I had some cousins who got their specialization or uh, postgraduate training from uh, either UK or US. And I really wanted to be like them. I had, I had some inspiration and admiration, even when I was a kid. So I knew I wanted to, you know, be like them or get to this point. I wanted to get that training. So I think First of all, setting your goal is very, what do you want to do? It's okay if you want to be a hospitalist, if you don't want to do subspecialization, that's fine as well. It's what you want. And I knew that I, I, I wouldn't be, you know, happy or contented if I did not get the specialization. And GI was something that I wanted to do, even when I was, you know, in my residency. And as I said, I was doing, uh, my third year was a chief resident year as well. And I was like full-time pregnant at that time. I'm going for fellowship interviews when I was like eight months pregnant. And, you know, I went to like eight or nine interviews with my, you know, being pregnant. So that was definitely, there were so many challenges, be it pregnancy, be it childcare, being away from my husband. And there were so many, but when I look back, I think it was all worth it. And I think that's what my advice would be to other people as well who are struggling right now. It's hard to be away from your spouse or your significant other all of these challenges are definitely hard, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And after, as I said, seven or eight years of all this craziness, when I look back, I think it has taught me so much. I know, you know, how we, we as women, especially, I think we wear so many hats and we, we can do it. It's not something, I think everyone has a potential until, unless we don't go through that craziness, we don't know how much we have, you know, in us that we are uh, able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that it, a lot of us, unfortunately, as a species, as a human race, I think there's a lot more potential that goes to the grave than, than what we use. Right. I think sometimes we just need to be daring and be courageous. And courage is not something right. that you can measure and say, oh, I have enough courage today. Sometimes you just do. And then when you do, you figure out how you got the courage to do. And so I'm really inspired by your work so far and hopeful for all the years that are to come because, you know, now looking back, you know, even just coming on here and sharing this words of insight with us, it's such a big deal because it didn't just, we're going to listen to your story in 20 minutes, but this has been years and years in the making. And it's taken a lot of tenacity, patience, you know, perseverance, long suffering even to do all these things that you've done. And so sometimes it's the encouragement I want the listener today to get from, from here is, you know, one, things can line up for you if you are not just somebody that thinks positive, but someone that actually takes action and someone that, that's ready to sacrifice 
because if you're not willing to give up anything, you're not going to get anything. Like, that's just it. Like, and the more you give up, the more likely you'll reap more. Like, you know, you, the measure of your sacrifice would probably only increase, the measure of what you reap, it would only increase based on how big of a sacrifice that you make. And you made some pre- pretty big sacrifices, evidently. So Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, some people are going to have questions. They're going to be like, Dr. Loom, you know, when people come on the podcast, we want to know, like, you know, how are they able to get a pre-match? I keep coming back to that pre-match thing because I know that the listener is like thinking, but she didn't tell us the details, like how. So, you know, you mentioned something. You said that it's possible to get a pre-match without stellar scores. Tell me about that. Why do you believe that? And maybe what was your story? So, as I said, I had just had one year to, it wasn't like someone had put a gunpoint in me that I have to give exams in one year, but I wanted to, you know, my husband was already in US at that time. I was studying for these exams uh, and working, you know, some part-time observerships back in Pakistan, but I really wanted to join him here and apply for the match. So I I had my goals that, you know, this is the amount of time I would study for step one. This is the amount of time I would do for step two, CK and CS, and I would apply for the match even before giving step three. So that was my goal. And that was within one year of all of these exams were at that time. So if I would have had more time, I think I would have gotten better scores. Not that I was like a bad student or anything like that, but I think all of these, and I, first of all, you know, being an IMG, I don't think I was very good in stat- statistics, you know, questions or ethical, you know, all these questions. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very good with them. And obviously every section of these exams, they have certain points. So I didn't, I don't think I did very well in that. Had I spent more time had I taken you know extra practice questions I would have had uh you know maybe done better so I think probably that's why so my I I would be honest my scores were in 220s they weren't the highest I know people the program especially have a cutoff so that's one thing that I would say that I would uh, you know advise all the IMGs to get the best scores possible but even if If you don't have the best scores, you can work on other parts of your CV. As I said, I had some research experience. I uh, did some observerships in UAE as well as I only got one over here. And uh, it would be too long of a conversation, but I know there there are some uh, agencies which ask for money and then, and I did not have money at that time, to be honest, we were so limited. My husband was doing his master's at that time in Florida and we did not have enough money because I was a applying for the match and the whole match process is super expensive. Plus I did not have any guidance. So I did not know that you don't have to apply to all the programs. So I applied to literally every PEDS program in the country. And I was, uh, I also applied to some IM programs as well. So I spent like around $5,000 to just for the application because I did not have any guidance. So now when I look back, that was one mistake that I made that I shouldn't have applied to, you know, big university programs, uh, because I don't think that's a realistic approach. I think you should know which programs would, I mean, it's, it's not like don't never say never, you, you know, the big university programs could also take you, but it also depends on your overall CV and all of that, your visa status and all of that. So I think I made a mistake there and spending so much money over there. Coming to the observership point, I just did one observership at a clinic, at a small clinic in Miami, where I just went, it was close to my uh, 
home where I was living at that time. And I asked him, he was a professor at University of Miami. So he was like, yeah. And I shadowed with him for like eight weeks or something. And he gave me a letter of recommendation. So any, I think any experience that you can get, it counts. It not necessarily you have to spend a lot of money to these agencies. I've never worked for them, but I know people who have done them and they weren't very happy with the kind of exposure they got. So just make sure that you know, you know, beforehand what steps you'll take, you know, in order to get some experience here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Strategy is the key thing when it comes to applying. And like you said, you know, the 5k could have gone for so many different things. You know, you could have reallocated those dollars in several different parts of your application and apply to fewer places and still, you know what I mean? And so I think, you know, the message that we're sharing with the IMG that's listening today is strategy is key because having a strategy helps you allocate your dollars appropriately for one. And then two, it helps you figure out where you need to apply and where you can maybe sit out on applying. And it just makes you a better steward of what you have. And then the second thing that you're saying is observerships, clinical experience. But I think a lot of IMGs get caught up in the fact that it must be in the States. So if you, wherever you're located right now, start where you're planted. So start doing Absolutely. research in your country. Start doing you know, clinical shadowing in your country. Now, if you're in the States, by all means, then get in with somebody here. And I too got my observerships, I didn't do observerships, but rotation, some of them I, I just hustled, like talk to people in my community and presented myself and I got opportunity that way. And at the same token, I do work with companies and agencies that help people get placement. But I do know inherently that there is a way to do this on your own that involves you knocking on the door and you putting yourself out there. So I definitely concur with that 100%. And if anybody's looking for help with strategy, I do have an online course. This is a shameless plug. I'm going to put that in here where I teach people how to really come up with a strategy that works for them. So that being said, I really think that a lot of the work can be done on our own and you can do it wherever you are. So you don't have to be in America to start your process. If you're listening to us right now, start where you're located. Start in Cameroon, in Nigeria, in UAE, in Pakistan, wherever you're at, start there. And then your work is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Because if you publish in the British Medical Journal or you publish in the Australian Medical Journal or whatever, it's still a publication. And it's still advancing your career. Absolutely. It's still advancing your profession no matter what part of the world it's in. And people in America do want to see that you have work outside of America. So don't feel like it must be just here. So, well, thank Absolutely. you so much for coming on, Dr. Baig. This is uh, this was actually a very inspirational episode for me as well. But before we leave, you know, people want to know how can they connect with you? You know, they may have more questions. There's always follow-up questions, I can guarantee you. And I, I like the community that I am building around this because I always like people to feel like they can reach out and that they can seek help and, and that help is ready for them. But if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. So I have a social media account that I just made it on, you know, for public. My handle is, uh, it's on Instagram and my handle is uh, Bake. That's Bake. So that's my Instagram handle. And I often post about of my struggles and, you know, how uh, I've managed to do things that I've done. Um, so yeah, I'd be happy to answer any questions that uh, any of the followers have here and uh, would be happy to guide them. Absolutely. Whatever is possible in my capacity. Yes, absolutely. So I'll put your handle in the show notes because some people may spell your name incorrectly. It's not A-I-S-H-A, it's A-Y-E. 
S-H-A, Baig is B-A-I-G. So I'll put her link and her handle in the show notes with the one click. So you just click on it and you can go straight to her profile. And so you can connect with her directly as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Before we let you go, we know that this is your lunch break and we want to honor your time. But any final tips, words of advice, one takeaway that you want to share with us? So other than I think my advice would be don't give up. No matter how hard things may seem at that time, there's always some light at the end of the tunnel. And I I firmly believe that hard work always pays off. Maybe for some people, it will pay off in an year. Maybe for some people, someone like me, it may take eight, nine years for things to pay off. But don't give up and be happy with whatever choice you make. It's happiness is a personal choice. You may be happy in, you know, in a small one bedroom apartment and you may not be happy in a one big mansion. So try to be happy. This life we all have goals and we all want to achieve big things, but taking care of your health and, you know, your, your mental health and your personal health, I think that's equally important. So I know this whole U.S. assembly journey, especially, it's very exhausting. It's it's a grueling process, but don't let your happiness or your mental peace come in between. Take care of your health first, and things will p- fall in place if you do your hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Thank you so much for coming on. 